you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, be sure you check out the new episode of the Dave Damashek Football Program. Ike Taylor, Cynthia Freeland, Handsome Hank, and I are chopping up Super Bowl 51, of course. What else? We're also predicting who's going to make it to Super Bowl 52. We'll try and figure out where Julian Edelman's catch ranks all time. The heroics of Tom Brady. T.O., why is he not in the Hall of Fame? All that and more. Check it out, nfl.com slash ddfp or iTunes. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's going on, everybody? DJ Bucky here, post-Super Bowl 51. And what do you know, Bucky? Patriots champions once again. Ah, uh, they do it in a, man, in an improbable fashion. Down 28-3 <laughs> in the middle of the third quarter. A team that looked like they were being overwhelmed by the athleticism and the speed of the Atlanta Falcons. They somehow found a way to turn the game and to put themselves in a position to have a drive to win it. And we, we, we talk all the time in this process about finding guys that kind of have the clutch factor, guys that are able to kind of step up on the biggest and brightest stages. We always reference Tom Brady, but Tom Brady gave us another classic example of why that quarterback that you have as your franchise guy, he, he has to be something special. He has to be calm, cool in those moments, and he is – better than anybody that I've seen. Yeah, no, no question. And people talk about he was a little bit out of sorts. Well, you go back and watch the tape. Started off hot. Started off hot. I think it was five of his first six. Then there was a couple drops there along the way. Early he got on. hit a little bit, too. And All quarterbacks are the same. They start getting hit. It, it, he it got changes. hit, and he, he missed a deep crosser, which was, was a Wide he open. always makes. But it wasn't like people made it, it made it out to be like this guy just took a dump on the field for the first three quarters. I'm like, nah, that wasn't the tape that I went back and watched. No, no, no it, it wasn't that. I, I, I thought it was – I thought it was a solid game. I don't think he was having an A-plus game no, no, no. to that point. He wasn't getting a lot of help either. No running game, and he got a couple drop passes. But my thing is, once it got to you-know-what cut in time in the fourth quarter, Bucky, is everything had sped up and, and just his ability to slow everything down. And this is we talked about this on the phone yesterday, but the one thing, the clip that stood out to me the most that just defines Tom Brady is get the game-winning touchdown, win your fifth Super Bowl. And they cut to him in the uh, in the TV copy, and they show him, and you can read his lips saying, "Hold on, they might review it. They might." Re-. He wasn't even allowing himself to get out of that moment. Like, no, no, no. This there's still a chance. We need to stay composed. We might have to run one more play. He just he saw the game to the very, very, very end. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of we talk about these these great players, be it football or even basketball, the Michael Jordans, the guys that are the legends in their sport. They kind of have the ability to calm down in the midst of chaos. And for Tom Brady, he was calm. He was able to collect himself. And I think the, the, the special thing about him is the confidence that he gives his own team 
and kind of how he's able to demoralize the other team. When we saw late in the game in the fourth quarter when it was 28-20 to and Tom Brady got the ball back, you could kind of tell for the Patriots. They knew yeah. it's, it's a done deal. And then for the Falcons, you knew not only after that drive, but when they got the coin toss and they got the kick, it was over. Put, put your helmet away. Game's over. Yeah, and when you hear the defenders for the Patriots saying, oh, we started kicking off our shoes because we knew we weren't going out there, that's what every team is looking for when we talk about a franchise quarterback. That guy should kind of bring about those kind of feelings in your team, the confidence that if we're down and we hand the ball to our guy, our guy's going to find us a way to get us into the winner's circle. Yeah, one other thing before we get back into the kind of the X's and O's of this game, Buck, the uh, um, I had a quarterback coach. Gosh, I can't remember which college it was, but I just remember we'd be going through individual drills, and he always just kept repeating the same phrase over and over again. How smooth can you be? How smooth can you be? Like with your footwork and everything, just everything. You want everything to be nice and smooth and easy. You don't want to be jittery. You don't want to be rushed. You don't want to be forced. You want to be calm, relaxed, poised. Tom Brady is – you know, like I, th- I think he's easily the greatest uh, quarterback of all time. But to me, he's the smoothest quarterback of all time. And he's a self-made guy. You talk about a guy being a six-round pick coming into the league, wasn't really thought of as being a guy that would be a long-term starter, let alone a five-time Super Bowl champion. But what I will say in looking at his career arc, watching him come into the league in 2001 and how they kind of slowly – allowed him to kind of grow into the position. The first maybe three Super Bowls that they went to that they won, he was kind of more of the game manager. The defense kind of carried the water. He kind of was a complimentary player. Um, Gradually became the franchise quarterback and became kind of the driving force of that offense. And we saw them win in a different fashion. The thing that I like about him is this was a game where the Atlanta Falcons were committed to taking away the deep ball and seeing if he could dink and dunk. He would be committed to playing a disciplined style from the pocket. Four drives over 70 yards. Four of those drives had 10 or more plays. And so to think about a quarterback that is willing to consistently take the check down, the dink and dunk throw, the underneath throw, um, the things that aren't sexy – says a lot about his ability to remain poised and composed and not rush it, even though it's a big game while you're facing a huge deficit. And we said that they would make adjustments at halftime. On the podcast last week, we talked about the Falcons needing a good lead, which they, they definitely had. They ran out. Um, to me, though, when you watch it, they the Patriots even said so after the game. They played a lot more man. They played a lot more man-robber coverage than they, than they thought they would. And uh, on one of them, you had to pick six because Tom Brady just – he sees three over three on the outside. Yep. He doesn't realize you've got a a, a, yeah. a, a pole Sit player right that's going to just run first. Anything cuts inside, he's got it. So you've got a free defender out there who can just read and drive, and that's where you end up getting a pick six. So I thought they had confused the Patriots a little bit with what they were doing. And then you get into the really the fourth quarter mostly. They realize, okay, you're going to play that much man. We're going to we're going to dump the ball to our back, make you guys tackle him, and then well, so we're going to beat you up with comebacks on the outside. We're going to go three by one or whatever. We're going to isolate one receiver who ended up being Malcolm Mitchell a couple times, and they got Hogan on a comeback as well. And it started running man routes. You know, I, I think the big thing when, when you go back and look at it, you talk about quarterbacks taking what they give you. The coverage that you speak of, that cover one lurk coverage where you have a lurk defender in the middle of the field to really take away all the crossing routes, the weakness of that is the one-on-one coverage on the outside. And the thing that Tom Brady does and the Patriots do, they don't mind running the same plays over and over again. They don't mind attacking the weakness relentlessly. 
And that's what Tom Brady did. If you notice, when we track the fourth quarter, you see the amount of receptions that Malcolm Mitchell made. Once he had five receptions in the fourth quarter for maybe 62 yards, most of those were on that deep hinge route yep. that was right along the boundary. He then came back and hit Chris Hogan. They decided that we're not really going to throw the ball over the middle of the field a lot. If I get one-on-one and I need it in long yard situations, I'm going to take it on the outside. And he did that. He made an adjustment as a veteran quarterback, as a guy that is the ultimate winner, and it paid off for them. And ran a couple deep outs, too. Ran a deep out from the from the slot, I believe it was to Hogan. Yes. Coming out of the end zone on a third and ten. Critical on throw. Like their own nine-yard Perfect line. ball placement and anticipation. Huge, huge. And then they hit the same route again later on down the field, the same uh, the out route from the slot where you've got man coverage. Just get leverage and put it out there. But uh, to me, again, I, I give Tom Brady a lot of credit. When you watch this game in the first half, Bucky, though, the Falcons' offense – they were doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. Both sides. I, I, I will say this, and it's no disrespect to the New England Patriots and what they were able to accomplish because they are ultimately the champion. But when you watch that game, for the first half, the talent disparity to me was significant. The Atlanta Falcons were more athletic and more explosive. They were faster, and that speed gave the New England Patriots problems because their receivers couldn't run away from coverage. Maybe the first three quarters of the game, they couldn't get open. Um on offense, the speed, Devontae Freeman having his way running the ball, Julio Jones and the Gabriel. rest of the guys having big plays. Gabriel ran a nasty post route yep. on Malcolm Butler that he was able to get open. Um, until the game kind of flipped because the defense was on the field. And some of that we can say was really kind of odd circumstances. You have a pick six that goes in after – I think the Patriots have been on a 15-play drive, and you get the pick six, that's return. The defense has to go right back on the field. The Patriots go 11 plays and score. 26 plays in a row, you begin to tire out that defense. And to be honest, they didn't play complimentary football on the other side in the second half. Complimentary football meaning that everyone kind of understands how to play to make sure that the team wins. When your defense is on the field for extended periods, your offense has to be able to control the ball. One of eight on third downs, couldn't get the conversions, couldn't stay on the field. Uh, We talk about the running game. They only had five running plays in the second half, Devontae Freeman did. So they didn't do enough. And at some point, I think the breaking point on defense is about 75 plays before the defense kind of falls apart. 93 plays, actually 99 in totality with the penalties. Too many snaps. I mean, you play like a game and a half. If you're the Falcons defense, at some point they wear down, particularly when you're playing man-to-man and you have to run and chase and everything's like a track meet. At some point, the dam breaks. The dam broke on the Falcons. No, no question. And it was interesting to me what the Patriots were trying to do to take away Julio Jones, who still had a decent day. I think what he had four for eighty something. Yes, he could and he could have had more. There were times when they they tried to get a glove on him at the line of scrimmage, Bucky. Every time they, they walked the <laughs> linebacker out there, some um, they had overtop coverage. They would play in trail technique at times and just play with a safety over the top and let him run underneath him. Still hit a dig with a with under. Yes. I don't know if I've ever seen that before, where you've got trail coverage and you complete a dig. Yeah, uh, over the top of it, it was ridiculous. But uh, and then he made the circus catch down the sideline. But there were other times, Buck, where he got a free release, even though they had two dudes. It didn't matter. He ran by everybody. I, I thought Matt Ryan still could have taken some more shots to him, just deep down the field, just let him go get it. Absolutely, he could take him some more shots. But here's the thing with what the Patriots were doing. Part of the success that the Falcons had on the ground was due to the attention that Julio Jones commanded in the passing game. They are so uniquely built that. They have the ability to really counter all the tactics that you have. You want to take Julio away, they can run the ball with two running backs. They have multiple receivers on the outside that can make things happen. And we The tight saw ends did a nice job in this game. Tight ends were getting Cooper open. with a touchdown. They didn't have enough plays. Part of that is on their own 
Uh, I mean, they messed up because they couldn't convert, but they have more plays, more time. I think they absolutely had opportunities to bust the clock on the Patriots, but they didn't get it done. And credit Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick for on the fly. This guy, you know what we're going to throw cards to the win. We're going to start blitzing them. Mm-hmm. We're just going to try and send pressure, see if we can create some plays. They fell into some plays, made some plays. Dante Hightower made the biggest play in my mind with the strip sack. And once they kind of got close enough within range, it tightened up a little bit for the Atlanta Falcons. They just couldn't finish it. And even in saying that, with three minutes and 30 seconds left, they have an opportunity with the ball on the 23 to, to seal the game if they just find a way to either run the ball, make them burn their timeouts, which was surprising because at that point, four minutes left on offense, you're thinking, let's go turtle, slow the game down, take the play clock down to under five which, which seconds. Which they did not do. They did not. They did not play the game from a management standpoint to really salt the game away. Yeah, and again, um, the two things that's, that stand out about the Patriots, we've talked about it before situational football, they're better than everybody else, and mental toughness, they're, they're on a different level than everybody else. I mean, they, they certainly have some, some, some bounce-back ability. They're able to bounce back from poor plays, bounce back from a poor first half, to bounce back from a, a, a deficit that everyone said was insurmountable. To win the game, you have to heal the chance because I never thought when I was watching that game that they could necessarily get all the way back. I knew there was a lot of time left and some things could go their way, but I just didn't anticipate them being able to bring it back because – I mean, for most of the game, the Atlanta Falcons looked like the Not superior maybe, yeah. team. One of the guys that had a great game for the Falcons who would have been in the mix, I don't know if he would have been the player of the game or the Super Bowl MVP, but he would have been in consideration was one of our guys, Grady Jarrett, who we both talked about in the yeah, run-up. You talked the about him up. You talked about him leading up to the, to he the game. Did, he did three sacks, hit a nice job, and it got me thinking we had had him on the on the show before that year in the draft, and I think we actually have some audio of him because we're, we're watching him, Bucky. The thing that stood out at Clemson, I know he's not the longest guy, and we'll go talk about all these draft picks as we march towards the draft. The guy knows how to use his hands. He's explosive. He's crafty. And uh, I remember when we talked to him when he came in here about the you know the lack of size, but how he got a, a ahead of that because of his hand usage. I think we got a clip on that, don't we? It's crucial for me to knock down the offensive line hands and get into their body before they fully extend on me. The hands is a lot of it's a lot of work that go into it. You know, a lot of people don't really realize the work that you put into being a being a good defensive lineman, trying to uh, your hand placement, how crucial it is. And really time it when they're gonna shoot their hands and um when I when to put mine out. So uh your hand time and just just know what you're gonna do before kinda of before the snap and when you want them to shoot their hands at you so you can knock their hands down. And because uh, it's not a reaching the grab game which some people like to make it. If you know how to use your hands, that's gonna be your advantage regardless. Um I'm not I'm not trying to reach out a hold on to an offensive lineman all day. I'm trying to like when you see me play, I get in there and I hold point. And uh, I get off and make plays. That's the game that I play. Just body positioning, hand fighting, and those are those are things that help me uh, with, with my game. Grady Jarrett again, a miracle that they got him in the fifth round. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, just a phenomenal football player and a tremendous value, and and really on the biggest stage had his his best performance. So interesting to see how he continues to develop with that defense. His teammate Vic Beasley uh, had a pressure in that game. Not a lot of sack production for him in the postseason, Bucky. But uh, again, they've got some speed on this defense, and that was one of the things I wanted to get to here before we wrap on the Super Bowl. Um, I think the the effect on the draft coming out of the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. maybe more so coming from the Falcons side of things and how they're built maybe more so than the Patriots. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. And I wrote about this a few weeks ago uh, in my notebook about how the Atlanta Falcons are a team that you can look at and, and see the blueprint. And the blueprint there is 
obviously they built up the offense to go around Matt Ryan, and they really made him very comfortable. We talked about in here how he's driving a Cadillac on offense. But when you invest and commit that kind of capital in your offense, that means you really got to hit it in the draft on defense. And there are a couple of different things that the Atlanta Falcons have done when it comes to their defense. They're young and athletic and explosive. All the guys that they've drafted the last couple of years can fly. They hit, they have great instincts, and they do it. But they put them in a very simple scheme that allows them to kind of play free from clutter. They talked about being able to play fast and loose on defense. I do believe that you'll see more teams take that because, see, the Atlanta Falcons are a cousin of what the Seattle Seahawks have been able to do. And so when you look at how quickly the Atlanta Falcons were able to kind of get into prominence as a contender with a defense that is only going to get better, I think you'll see more teams, and we've seen more teams. The Dallas Cowboys are playing a little more simplified. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing a simplified defense that's allowing their young guys to run and chase. When you have fewer practice sessions with OTAs and the restrictions in the CBA, you have guys that are coming out early, not seasoned like some of the guys that used to come into the league. You have to kind of simplify so you can get them on the field and allow them to play fast. We'll see more teams take this model that Atlanta has kind of put out there. I think especially at the linebacker position. Fast. Speed. speed I want speed. speed. And when let's be honest. If we really look at the teams that are in the playoffs, how many power football teams were there? Yeah. We didn't really see many. The Dallas Cowboys were there. They were the only team that I thought really was committed Green, to Green Bay grinding. had a receiver playing running back. Those teams aren't that. So until the league shifts again where we see these teams that are committed to grinding it out and playing um, physical football, I think you can get away with an undersized but fast defense that kind of knocks you around and plays pass first, run second. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think – it's a good time to be an explosive linebacker that can really, really run because Oof. it gives you so much versatility there and what you can do. It's also uh, one of those safeties. We see a safety like Keanu Neal who maybe you're not going to make your living on, on the hash, but you, you can run sideline to sideline and fill alleys, make you plays. Can smack people, yes. And I think it will have a huge effect on the running back class when you look at Atlanta. Oh, no question. The and, impact. And, and, and the Patriots, Patriots too, yeah. Now we'll see a difference in terms of what is value, which would be the argument that we'll we'll make. We'll have this debate about uh, Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook and some of the other guys. I mean, I love Leonard Fournette. We could say that he's a superior talent to maybe Dalvin Cook and some of the other guys. But in today's game, what value do you put on that? Mm-hmm. Because unless you're a team that is lining up in old school I formation with 21 personnel uh, coming in out the I formation, you, you really need a guy that can do multiple things coming out the backfield, split out, catch the ball out the backfield, screen game, draws, delays, explosive in a couple of different facets. It changes on changes the value on how you evaluate these it's guys. It's going to be huge for Leonard Fournette at the combine and at his pro day to show that he can run routes, he can catch the ball. And I thought he got a lot better in that this year than he was previously. But he's going to have to show that he can be that guy that can contribute on third down in passing situations because that is going to be something he gets hit with. I talked to a GM down at the, at the Senior mm-hmm. Bowl who asked me about that. He's like, Leonard Fournette, would you take him in the top ten? I said, he's my seventh player overall. So, yeah, I would take him in the top ten. He goes, you keep him in the field on third down? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep him. Other guys are better at, at that area of it. You know, there's Dalvin Cook's a better, Christian McCaffrey. Those guys are better in the passing game than Leonard Fournette. But I also think that I can get Leonard Fournette to do my dirty work to be my LeGarrette mm-hmm. Blunt, a far superior version of LeGarrette Blunt, who I believe led the league in, in rushing touchdowns this 18, year. 18, 19. And I can go in the fourth round and get my Donnell Pumphrey or whoever else I need to come in there that can play that James White-type role for me. You know, I, I think it would be interesting. This will remind me of the debate that was had when Adrian Peterson and Marshawn Lynch came out. And Dalvin Cook isn't a Marshawn Lynch clone, but part of the debate I had when I asked around – who is the better 
prototypical pro back. And at the time, Marshawn Lynch, because he caught the ball out the backfield at Cal, mm-hmm. he did some things. Adrian Peterson was a rough and rugged runner, but he didn't give you any pass production. He really hasn't done that in, in the league. He's been more just of a primary runner, had tremendous success. But in today's game where we talk about being pass-centric, it's about the quarterback and make the quarterback comfortable, your running back has to be a triple threat. He has to be able to catch it, run it, do some other things out the backfield. And so – if you don't have that ability and we can't assess that ability on tape, it's hard to favor an old-school runner over a guy that can be balanced and contributing in a bunch of different areas. It's going to be fascinating. Look, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion and a debate not just here on our podcast but in draft rooms around the league of, of what you do with these guys because, again, you, you want guys to be able to come out of the backfield and make things happen. Again, I think Fournette can do some of those things. He's going to need to show it, though at the Combine as well as in the Pro Day because he just didn't get as many opportunities to do that in that LSU offense. But, uh, it, look, Buck, it's going to be fun to uh, to march through from this point forward towards the draft. I mean, I think Bill Belichick even said it after the game. As great as the the feeling is to win a Five Super Bowl. Behind. Yeah, he's a little bit he's a little bit behind. As great as today feels and as great as today is, in all honesty, we're five weeks behind in the 2017 season to, to most teams in the league. I mean, look, in a couple weeks we're going to be looking at uh, the Combine. Uh, obviously the draft all-star games have already occurred. If you don't do a good job with your football team in February, March, and April, you're probably going to see that in November and December and January. So Coach Belichick knows, Bucky, this is our time now. We've got to get this draft, get free agency rolling, and the offseason is going to be a big part of what happens next year and who's hoisting that trophy again. Always. It's always a huge part. Uh, the big thing about we talk about team building. When you're building a team, you have to always have one eye towards the future. The New England Patriots have done a great job of kind of transitioning their team from being an older team to a younger team, transitioning stars, not really paying big money for some of the guys that we on the outside would view to be expendable, non-expendable players, but they've been able to kind of do it. Uh, This is a team that is really pretty young on defense. They have some core traits. You've got to pay Hightower. Yeah, you've got to pay Hightower. But you've got the quarterback in place, and your quarterback helps you because he plays kind of a a team-friendly note. So there's some things that they can do. They can get better. They continue to have to draft guys and acquire talent, but they're well positioned to make another run at 52. How about that? Well, we uh, we've got some draft stuff up on the uh, on NFL.com right now. I got my updated top 50 list, but yeah, I have another mock draft coming out. You've already got your first mock draft out there. So I got first mock out. draft out there. Uh, top fives are out. I'm working on. Uh, rookie grades right now and also some more uh, a new series that we're going to do the book on and the first guy that I'm going to take a deep dive on is Deshaun Watson oh nice what I'm hearing from guys what I think about him where he may potentially go so that's one of the things they're working on but before we get out I want to ask you about a guy that we are very very close to that we've seen a lot of what do you think about the move by the Atlanta Falcons oh yes good call Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator good recall there I almost skipped right by that that was shocking I did not see that coming Sark went from from USC head coach out of football to a, a what is it, an analyst at Alabama to all of a sudden thrust in to be the coordinator for the national championship game, get through that. Kiffin's gone. He's named the full-time offensive coordinator. And before he can ever get back on that sideline again, he's left and he's gone to the Falcons. To me, it's obvious you've got the Pete Carroll, uh, Dan Quinn connection from Seattle. Pete, obviously, very close with Sark, having been with him at USC. They were all together up there in Seattle at one point in time when Sark was at UW. So, that seems like a very good relationship there. I, I would imagine that uh, certain someone, maybe not the tallest guy in the world in Tuscaloosa, is none too pleased right now. No, it's funny because he kind of endorsed the move. So we'll we'll see what it 
what it does, it, it certainly puts him back in the mix for an offense coordinator at the collegiate level. From a pro standpoint, the Sarkeesian move on the surface is kind of quizzical. You're like, man, how does that fit? But then when I read the quotes from Dan Quinn at the press conference, he talked about he wanted someone who is familiar with the system that they run. Well, if you look at the Falcons' offense, it's a version of the West Coast offense with a zone running scheme. Sark ran that scheme when he was at SC when he and Lane Kiffin co-coordinated the offense at SC. Ran it again at UW. The play action, the boot, the bootleg, the, the the movement passes that they have, the ability to push the ball down the field. He has also done a good job of kind of coaching stars in terms of at SC they had a bunch of playmakers that could make plays, and he found a way to get it going. Because remember, he had Reggie Bush and Lindell White. He had receivers on the outside that were deemed as stars on the collegiate level. I think it's a nice fit. I wonder – how he'll get along and how he'll kind of bridge the gap between him and Matt Ryan because that is a critical relationship. But I do believe it allows Matt Ryan to be very comfortable. And if my quarterback's played at the MVP level, I don't really want to tinker with the system. Yeah, look, he's he MVP, in. but I don't think him and, and Kyle Shanahan were best buddies. One thing about Sark is he is, as a former quarterback, he is incredibly quarterback friendly. Quarterbacks love playing for him. He'll be a nice uh, calming influence on them there. Kyle Shanahan did a great job designing plays and getting Matt Ryan to play the MVP level. I think the relationship will actually be better uh, with Sark coming in there. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be good. We'll see if he can cut down some of the verbiage. I know they talked about Matt talked about that first year was really tough for him being bogged down by the verbiage. We'll see if they continue to keep that the same. I also think coming from the college game, Sark can maybe help them because they like to go up-tempo at times. He can kind of help them kind of – skinny down that playbook a little bit so they can play a little faster at times. He also understands how to delegate when you have multiple backs and some of that. We'll see if he can kind of master the management part of it. But I kind of like the hire because the candidates that were out there in the pros, I don't know if they would fit what Atlanta has evolved to because this is a high-powered offense, a record-breaking offense. I don't want to mess with it a lot. Who has a better job right now, Sark or Kiffin? Sark. Sark. Not even close. It's not even close. I mean, it's Kiffin, not even close. Kiffin wanted to get out of there and have his have his own gig again. But I thought Kiffin would be a really, really good pro offensive coordinator, and I thought that he would have opportunity to kind of transition to an NFL head coach again because he, I thought he could build back up yeah. his resume. But he is where he is. So else that if you'd like to play for Florida Atlantic, he said he did that on purpose. Yeah, he did. Sure, he did. He said he did it on purpose. That was by design. Yep. Needed some energy. Yeah, I meant to crash my car a couple years ago, too. <laughs> totally on purpose. All right, look, that's going to do it for us. Fun wrapping up Super Bowl 51. We're full on into uh, into draft mode right now. And, and speaking of draft mode, Bucky, we've got our scouting competition that's rolling on. I've already gone through, shoot, 50, 50 of these reports. i got another 40. We just got handed another 40 to go through, Buck, uh, trying to pull out some winners here. So uh, what's at stake here? Send in a scouting report, your favorite NFL player for the, from the 2016 season. Send us an email, move the sticks at NFL.com. Uh, you're going to have a chance to win a year-long subscription to NFL Game Pass, and you'll come on and, and talk to both of us here on the Move the Sticks podcast. Uh, go to NFL.com slash scouting competition for more details. You have to get your report in, though, before February 17th, 2017. On the length of it, look, it's, it, we've had some diaries get sent in here, so let me just reiterate again. Just quickly, some strengths, little couple nuggets on some strengths, a yep. couple nuggets on some weaknesses, and then a 300-word summary. So you got to be concise. We don't need to know everything. Out. 
Just give us a quick snapshot of what this guy is. Again, you have till February 17th, 2017 to get those in. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residents 18 and older of the United States and the District of Columbia. We're going to whittle that down to our favorite five. We're going to bring in those five on Skype, hopefully, if not over the phone on the podcast, so everybody will get to hear uh, those interviews take place. And then we're going to assign the same player to our five finalists, take those five reports in. We will pick two winners uh, that will get our Game Pass subscription as well as some uh, some good airtime here. So we'd like to see your uh, see reports. We'll pick a winner. Thanks for checking us out here on Move the Six. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast, and uh, thanks for checking out our videos. Be sure to go to YouTube, check out some new videos we got up there. Bucky, anything else you got? No, it's been a, a fantastic uh, discussion talking about the Super Bowl, but I'm excited to get to draft season. It's draft time, everybody. We'll see you next time here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.